You know, we have a great privilege to worship His holy name. He says, for He is holy, yet we are unholy. Amen? We know that in our state of imperfection, that we strive for perfection. And I can't wait until this old carnal body is gone. And the new perfected body will be made new when we're in His presence. So to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We won't have to worship His holy name from this side of the kingdom, but we'll be able to worship His holy name in His presence. Hallelujah. If you have your Bible, if you would, please take your Bible. Let's say our Bible decree together. This is where we proclaim the Word of God, and I'm grateful for it. Let's say it together. This is my Bible, God's holy Word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hallelujah. Children, you are dismissed. Today we're challenged in the word where it says to quit or not to quit. That is the question. What should we do? Hang on, let go, endure it till the end, or just throw in the towel? I don't think we should throw in the towel. Do you believe that the enemy wants you to throw in the towel? Do you believe that you want to wave that uh, that white flag or that towel and say, I'm throwing it down right here. I'm over. I'm done with it. But aren't you thankful that in the middle of it all that God gives provision and that God's always working something out for your good? Do you believe that today? Will you receive that today? No matter what, no, no matter where you're at, there's always a beginning and an end. But God is always right in the middle, right in that narrative to help all of us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen closely as we are in part three of to quit or not to quit. That's really the question. Trust God. Two single syllable words that you have heard forever, but you will discover as time passes how difficult they are to obey. Trust God. Of course, I have no way of knowing what the future holds for you. You may lose your home and everything in a fire. You may lose your spouse to an early disease, detected but not cured. You may lose your dreams, your hopes. You may lose a relationship that you have cultivated over the years. All losses are painful. We prayed just as hard for my father when his health went downhill as we did for my mother. We quoted the same scriptures. We asked God to restore his health, to let him live. But my father went to be with the Lord. It didn't happen the way I wanted There will always be unanswered questions. Why didn't my loved one make it? Why am I not getting better? Why did this person leave? Some things are not going to make sense, but God wouldn't have allowed it if He wasn't going to bring good out of it. You may not see it at the time, but God knows what He's doing. He has your best interest at heart. It's not random. It's a part of His plan. Trust in the Lord with all your heart 
And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. All your heart, all your ways. Trust. Trust. But what about when things aren't going our way? Our prayers aren't being answered. The problem isn't turning around. We're not seeing favor. Too often, we get discouraged. Think, God, why aren't you doing something? You can see I'm being mistreated. My health isn't good. I worked hard, but I didn't get the promotion. We think when it changes, we'll be happy. When I meet the right person, when my health improves, when we have this baby, then we'll have a good attitude. That's conditional trust. God, if you meet my demands, if you answer my prayers the way I want on my timetable, then I'll be my best. The problem with conditional trust is there will always be things we don't understand. Something that's not happening fast enough, it didn't work out the way we wanted. If I would have had conditional trust, I would have gotten upset, bitter God, why didn't you answer my prayers? The truth is, God did answer my prayer. It just wasn't the way I wanted are you mature enough to accept God's answers even though they're not what you were hoping for? God is a sovereign God. We're not going to understand everything that happens. Faith is trusting God when life doesn't make sense. God doesn't take us in a straight line. There'll be twists, turns, the disappointments, the loss, the bad breaks. They're all a part of His plan. But if you have conditional trust, You'll get discouraged and think, why is this happening? I'm going the wrong way. But God is still directing your steps. Trust Him when you don't understand. Trust Him even when it feels like you're going the wrong direction. Living worried, frustrated, disappointed, that takes our passion. It steals our joy. And it can keep us from seeing God's favor. And sometimes the closed doors, the disappointments, they are simply a test. God wants to see if we'll trust Him when we don't understand it, when life doesn't make sense. We have to show Him that we don't have to have the house to be happy. If we don't have the baby, we're not going to live bitter and sour. You believe in for your health to improve. But when you can say, if it doesn't get better, God, I'm still going to honor you. I'm still going to be my best. When God sees that you don't have to have it, many times like Him, God will give you back what you were willing to give up. Are you living frustrated because your prayers aren't being answered the way you want? Your plans aren't working out? Take the pressure off. God is in control. He knows what's best for you. You're not always going to understand it. If you did, it wouldn't take any faith. I'm asking you to trust Him unconditionally. If you'll do this, I believe and declare God is going to work out His plan for your life. He's going to open the right doors, bring the right people, turn negative situations around, and take you to the fullness of your destiny. You know, this morning I, I'm, I'm encouraged because I think we're all faced with the big dilemma. Do we hang on? Do we let go? Do we endure till the end or do we just throw it all in? 
do we just let go of it all? I think truly that in our Christian life, because it says in this world you will have troubles. In this world you will have tribulations. But he said, but be of good cheer for I have over, what? I've overcome the world. We have a tendency to allow our faith or circumstances to diminish how strong our faith truly is. But I believe that what God is trying to do in each and every one of our lives is to, to build us to become stronger and greater warriors and soldiers for Him. We can only do that by living out our life. And I know that in this world we will have troubles. I know that from the time I accepted Christ to surrendering and the, the adversity from my childhood years into my adult years and now to the middle-aged life that I'm in, there's always going to be questions. There's always going to be adversity. But I have to ask myself, why am I in this? Who am I in this for? I'm in it for Jesus Christ. Satan wants to find any loophole he can in your life to destroy you and everything about you. But I don't want you to quit. And as you answer that question, I want you to say, no, I don't need to quit. I don't need to give up because his promises are true. He's for me. He's with me. He's not against me. Have you made mistakes? I've made mistakes. But you know there's grace and there's hope and there's forgiveness to start over. Amen? Aren't you glad that we, have, we serve a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, six, seven, eight, nine? I've run out of fingers and toes. Amen? Now, trust me, your coworkers, your family, those people around you will score keep. They want you to quit. They want you to throw in the towel. But I want you to know, church, today, I want you to hang in there. I want you to know that you don't have to let it go. Just endure till the end. Because an end is in sight. Amen? Like what, back in 2016, there was a research project, a study of how long, and you heard me talk about this three, three weeks ago, about New Year's resolutions actually lasting. And I thought I would take it and make it kind of interesting for the middle of the year, just to kind of revisit New Year's resolutions, because so many of us realized that we didn't make it five days. But I loved looking up some of these statistics, and I thought it was kind of cool. Only 64% last longer than the first month, and only 46% last longer than six months. So right now we're under 50%. We're all a bunch of liars. We didn't hold up to our covenant we all said, I'm making this New Year's resolution. I'm doing it for me and for them and for everybody else. And it says here that 64% only lasted one month, 30 days. Even more discouraging, listen, is the statistic that only 14% of people over 50 actually achieved their resolution compared to 39% of people in their 20s. Hey. So does that mean you can't teach a dog new tricks? Though we are just supremely comfortable in our routines. So it is apparent that quitting is a part of life. In fact, I have said that learning what to quit and what not to quit is the real, is the real key to learning how to win. So, 
Scripture is full of lessons on what we should quit and what we should not quit. So this morning, if you have your Bible, if you would, please, if you'll turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 13, and then highlight 18. 1 Kings, we start with verse 1. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah, by name. What just happened here? I'm in 1 Kings 19. Yeah, that's 13 that's up there. We need 1 Kings chapter 19, folks. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm like, uh... Let's follow right along here. If you've got your Bibles while he's looking that up, I will continue. That could be the pastor's fault. And, um, you know, it, it's hard when you're texting and doing all that kind of stuff. So uh, I appreciate it. So let's start with verse number one. I'm like, okay, here we go. Look how quick they are. I would like to thank our audiovisual team today for getting up that scripture verse right away. <laughs> thank you. All right, now we're going to start over because I thought I'm going in the wrong direction here. But anyhow. And Ahab, thank you, Jesus, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had ex executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent to a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. In verse 4 it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough, now Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and he slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and thereby a cake baked on coals. And a jar of water, so he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went into the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks to pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in that earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was, when Elijah heard it, 
that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, Yet I've reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed. Can we back that up just a little bit? Back that up another verse. And he said, let's go right into verse 15. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And just let's continue all the way. We'll just keep reading. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, over Abel. Mihola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And it shall be that what and whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah, will kill. I love this part here in verse 18. This is kind of the finale of following the angel of the Lord and following the Lord. And he says this, now watch. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let me explain what's going on here. Here he was, Ahab, goes back to his wicked, evil wife, Jezebel. And Elijah finds out that Jezebel gave order that whoever destroyed the altars of Baal would then be destroyed. Up to this point, all the prophets had been destroyed. And Elijah knew his position. Elijah knew his place. And yet, in the midst of of all of this going on, something overcame him. Fear. And even though he felt and he knew that he was called of God, fear started to overcome him. And I believe that in this text that Elijah, not once, not twice, but three times, God showed him. And I realized too, and I'm not going to try to get ahead of myself here, but I just feel like I need to say this. Even though it says there in that text and in the scripture that even though he was through the wind and through the earthquake and through the fire... God didn't give up on him. He was still there. But then a small, still voice cried out to him as one in the wilderness. And we know that even here in the Old Testament, God is always revealing himself. And once you're anointed, once you're called, you're called. Once told a pastor when he said, hey, I just want to give up. This is too hard. My, my wife has left me. I've lost my church. I've lost my business. I've lost it all. What am I going to do? I said, keep keeping on. Don't quit. Keep keeping on. Because here's reality. Your calling was a calling from God. It's irrevocable. See, we have a tendency to let the world give us standards that we have to live by and abide by. They want to tell us that this is how you're to look, dress, walk, talk, and they don't do it themselves. But they'll put that pressure on you, won't they? It's very easy for for them to do that. And Elijah started to forget who he was, and became fearful and afraid because of what? Because of what someone said. So Jezebel sent men out 
to kill this prophet. Forty days, forty nights. Isn't it interesting when you look in the scriptures, you think, what did Jesus do? Where did he go when he needed to get alone? He went in the wilderness for how many days? Forty days, forty nights. See how you always start to see Jesus just shown throughout all of Scripture and how God just uses that? Numbers are so important to the Lord. I believe that this morning there are probably six different sermons that I could get out of this text or six different lessons that we could find from this. But today I'm going to do this quickly. I'm going to mention three and then move on to three because I really feel like we need to drill down on these three points and then subpoints afterwards. Number one. Quit isolating yourself when God is trying to push you into, what? Necessary relationships. Now, this is going to be difficult for some of us loners. Loners have no one to lean on, so they quit. Your ability to continue to fight, to win, to persevere is wrapped up in your relationships. Some of you have set goals to get more connected, but if you aren't careful with life and your enemy will make you Make sure you are too busy to follow through. Let me say this with you. Many times we become so busy, so distracted, that we lose sight of what our purpose is. We need to have, as one preacher once said out on the West Coast, we need to have a purpose-driven life. We won't say who that is. Not for sake of anything, but we weren't referring his book. But I will say that we have the ability to continue to keep fighting to get through it. Have you lost your willpower to fight? Have you lost your willpower to fight? Many of us will isolate ourselves. Many of us will run away, much like Elijah did. He went to the cave when there was a difference between King Saul and David. Where did the king go? He went and hid out in a cave. Many times we want to exclude ourselves and retract and become like a turtle. When in reality... We need to stand strong, stand firm, and know that God is with us. Number two, quit running away from a fight you have been called to win. Woo! That's exhausting for me to even read. Quit running away from a fight you have been called to win. Some of us are trying to pray our way out of situations we have been called to conquer. Many of us need to continue to realize that we need to conquer some of the very things that God has allowed to come into our life. This is nay in all these things we've been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. Number three, quit relaxing after a victory. That was three. I know it sounded like I said three, but it was three. Usually the biggest battle takes place immediately after winning a great victory. Why? Because I truly believe that we are most vulnerable after a win. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're drained. You know, we fight the good fight of the faith, right? But it's through that that you feel like, okay, I made it through this. And yet it's after that that we are just exhausted. And we want to quit. And we are vulnerable. But I want to assure you of one thing. Don't let down. If you're winning, then keep watch. Don't let your guard down. If you're winning, then keep watch. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. 
verses 34 through 36. Luke chapter 21, verses 34 through 36. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But it says there, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Hallelujah. Amen. In Matthew chapter 26 verse 41. Here's what it reads in Matthew 26, verse 41. Wait a minute for some of you are still looking. It says this, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me repeat that. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Then I continue, Matthew 24, 42. It says this, watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Don't lose heart. Don't quit after a, victory, after a victory. And then last, in 1 Peter 5, 8, this is why we watch. Because it says, be mindful, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking about whom he may devour. He's after us. He wants to destroy us. People will say to me all the time, yeah, but, but my, my core group, my, my influence, my space that I'm in, the people that is, oh, but small. But what about if it wasn't so small? I believe it's bigger than you realize. You know why? Because we have people watching us all the time. Could you imagine, just think about Karen Carpenter. Karen Carpenter was a lady who had a beautiful voice, touched a lot of people's lives was a wonderful singer back in uh, the 70s. I, I raised my children on Karen Carpenter. We loved the Carpenters. That was about as heavy as the rock and roll got in the tack at home. But something got a hold of her. And it was a toehold. Then it was a foothold. Then it was a stronghold. She became tired and she became exhausted and the tabloid said you're fat and you look like this and you, you act like this and you dress like this. And all the things that the tabloids were saying, she couldn't personally accept. So she wrestled her whole life with weight. I'm here to tell you today in the name of Jesus, you too can be released from that stronghold in your life. You too can have victory over it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at in your struggle of life. But I know this, that Satan will find a way. It says he's like a what? A roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. I was walking through the yard up here. My wife and I were. And we looked out here as, as we, we stopped. And, and I know I made comment about this, but we saw just a, a baby doe all eaten. It was gone. Because the coyotes wait for vulnerability. Much like Satan, he waits and when we're vulnerable and when we're at our weakest, he will come in to seek, kill, and destroy. Be mindful, be watchful, be careful. Church, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the ways of the devil. In Ephesians chapter 6, 
So here are the things I felt like God wanted us to focus on this morning. One, this is A. It says, quit, ma- quit mistaking a season for a sentence. Now this is personal for me today. So I want to make it relevant for all of you today. Quit making a season for a sentence. Notice that Elijah, he gets word that Jezebel is making threats, and because he is faced with an immediate threat, he mistakes a season for a life sentence. This is it. It's over. I'm done. It was supposed to be a momentary attack, and he turns it into a monument to his death. How many of us are so consumed with what we are facing in this moment that we forget this too shall pass? We think a season is a sentence, and so we give up any hope for the future. We give up any hope for healing. We won't take any steps of faith because the immediate issue has consumed us. You can't sleep. Everything you do is consuming you. But here's the the wonderful part about it. Remember, seasons change. Don't quit now. Don't give up now. Don't surrender now. This may be a tough and threatening season. It may be a loud season. It may even be a painful season. But it is a season. The only way a season becomes a sentence is what? If you quit. Seasons change unless we allow ourselves to get stuck in them. God can't talk to us about next if we are convinced that now is all we will ever know. I want you to look at your neighbor this morning. You know I do this a lot. And I want you to say to him, this is a season. It will pass. Amen? I'm here to proclaim it. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. To everything there's a season. And I'm not talking about the song that came out. Here's what the scriptures have to say, and I love it because I believe that we have to proclaim that promise. To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. Time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time for sorrow. A time for a tear. A time to sow and a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. We often don't refer back to Ecclesiastes, but I think it's great truths of what God has for us. To remember, this is just a season. It will pass next quit overlooking provisions because you have problems quit overlooking provisions because you have problems notice what took place here an angel finds elijah in the desert can i just tell you a little funny do you know what i did i don't know if it was me or if it was my spell check but i just have to tell you this because it's just kind of a trip how do you think i spelled desert dessert 
So if I were to actually not know what I was saying right here, I would have said, an angel finds Elijah in the desert and provides, now listen, and provides him a home-cooked meal and a jug of water. I, I just wanted to tell you that many times for myself, sometimes you'll see me grin or smirk. Y'all just have no clue what I have to deal with on a, on a weekly basis. But we realized that there was an angel of the Lord that found him in this desert place. And he provides for him food and water in the desert when apparently Elijah had approached this as a suicide mission because he walks into the desert empty-handed. Two days in a row, an angel feeds and hydrates Elijah, sustains him for a 40-day journey on foot. But when he arrives at the cave, he comes out complaining, no mention, watch this, no mention of his provision. He was so focused on his problems that he missed God's hand at work in his life. There was no hint of gratitude. No grasp of God in the mix. His problem caused him to pout rather than ponder. A bunch of you are like a bunch of babies. Now I got to wait a minute. I got to get up off this floor. We pout. We throw temper tantrums. And yet God is still with us in the midst of all of it. He's still blessing you. There's still provision that's there. We have to accept what he's doing, but we can't because we're throwing a temper tantrum. Let go and let God. I'm concerned that some of us who are facing or will have significant problems will become so focused on the problems that if we are not cautious, that if we are not cautious, we will pass. We will walk past miracles due to our pain that's a pondering thought isn't it if we are not careful then we miss provision we miss the small things he is doing for us we limp past love we miss what he is sending because we are focused on what we want him to send take note on the supply he has given take note of the relationship he has provided take note of the paycheck he did let you get we don't learn this lesson, then we will end up like Elijah. We'll have a full belly, yet we will have an empty heart. It should have been a full belly and a full heart as he recognized God's faithfulness. Even in the driest moment of his life. I want you to write this down. It's up here. It says, don't let the drought make you doubt. Don't let the drought make you doubt. Great thought, isn't it? Many of us, we want, we, we want, we want, we want. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying. We don't see provision. We don't see God providing. But just because you feel like you're in a drought, God says, and his promise is this, I will never leave you. I'm with you. He said, I will go through the fire with you. And after you get through the refiner's fire, I'll probably put you back in it again. You and I had a great time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They had a great time in the fiery furnace. Don't let the drought make you doubt. I know your problem is real and it is big, but take an account of what God has done and continues to do. Because as we take note of those things, it increases our faith for what He can do about our problems. And then last, quit being distracted. Now, I think this is a big one for us. 
Quit being distracted. Elijah hears noise, but finally pushes past the distraction of the fire. He pushes past the distraction of the earthquake. He pushes past the distraction of the wind. And then he distinguishes God's voice. If we are going to make it, then we have to lean in and hear his voice. Listen, church, I can assure you, there will be distractions. Trust me, I know. In fact, I'm convinced that distraction may be the number one weapon used by the enemy, by Satan himself, to destroy our very core. Listen, there will be noise. There will be other voices clamoring for your attention. However, hear his voice. Quit listening to the loudest voice. Quit listening to the impressive voice. Quit listening to the awe-inspiring voice. Push past all of that noise and hear his voice. Why? Because his voice is the key for direction and deliverance. Because his voice is the key for direction and deliverance. What are you saying, Pastor? Distraction equals defeat. Voice equals victory. Distraction equals defeat. Yet when we hear the voice of God, there's peace that overcomes us. There's a calm assurance. There's love that we can sense and feel and victory is among us. Distractions from God is extremely dangerous. As believers, we believe that God is the captain of our ship. When you start losing sight of your captain, you start to steer your own ship. Not only does his this lead to going the wrong way, but it can lead you in the direction of what? Of trials, of sin, of missed opportunities, and missed blessings. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common demand. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to. To bear it. Amen? We realize that. We claim it today. We receive it. And in closing, when you lose sight of your captain, you start to fear and worry. You start to think, I'm in this by myself. But, church, let me just speak into your life this morning. Let me just say this this morning. Your captain promised to guide you and help you. Instead of focusing on him, you start focusing on the huge waves and the other people, the other sailors that are around you. Distractions equal defeat. But when you focus on Christ, you, 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 fix your eyes back on the captain. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, it just hit me, you know, we go through life and we all, we all have a sense of we want to be good people, we want to live a good life. Jesus, the Son of God, it says there, 
that he went to the cross despising the shame that others put on him. Despising the shame. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. You know where to find him. Satan always tries his best to distract us when we get serious about having fellowship with the Lord. He will try to distract you even more. Church, don't be afraid. Listen to me. Don't be afraid. God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Keep praying. Stay focused on the captain. In James chapter 4 verse 7 it says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Even when Jesus was in the wilderness, he even told the tempter, he even told the liar, the deceiver, the deceptor, when he said, look what I can offer you. And Jesus told him with all authority, Get behind me, Satan, for today thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only him shalt thou serve. Get behind me. Have faith and experience victory. May I encourage you this week to spend time with your Lord. Much like you would with your child or with a parent. Know that He is with you on the journey. He is guiding you to the right place. And if you persevere in prayer, and if you persevere in prayer, And if you continue to be in prayer, and if you persevere in prayer at the right time, you will hear His voice. He will answer. Have faith and experience victory. So church this morning, here's the question I want to leave you with. Who has the loudest voice in your life? Who has the loudest voice in your life? What voice must you silence to hear his voice? What a great thought. Much like Elijah. He went to a quiet, solitary place. Yeah, he may have been in the cave, but I believe that he was there for the wrong reason. But no matter where you go, no matter what you do, He knows where you're at. And He knows what you're doing. So today, church, where are you? Where are you in relationship with Him? Is there so much static and noise in your life that that's all that you hear, that's the loudest voice, and you can't hear the voice of God? Today, I encourage you and I pray over you that you will seek His face and not His hands. That you will seek His expression, not what you can get, but what you can give. And therefore, that you will hear His voice. And all of the things in this world will become silent. And we will feel and we will sense the almighty peace of God. Do you know Him today? Is He your Lord and Savior? Is He the captain of your ship? Are you in the middle of a storm and realize that He isn't there? Or maybe for some of you, you realize that He is there. 
and he walks with you and he talks with you because you're his. Let's all stand our feet as we pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for this moment. Lord, we give you our, our life. Lord, and we're challenged today through your word. We don't have to run. We don't have to be like Elijah and figure out, do we need to quit? Do we need to stand? Do we need to move forward? I think we need to kneel. I believe we need to kneel. We need to cry out to God to bring peace and harmony to each one of our lives. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you that you are all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing. That you are omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your embrace. But God, thank you for your voice. Help us to hear. Help us to quiet ourselves and to listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.